0: Hi there and welcome to the Engage Martech podcast. Research shows the marketing function is playing an increasingly important role within the organization, as advances in marketing technology enable greater customer understanding and insight, allowing organizations to increasingly personalize and tailor their offering to ever more demanding and proactive customers. For over a decade, we've helped some of the world's biggest brands engage, understand and consistently deliver on the expectations of their customers, through our industry-leading conferences and online digital media. To find out more, visit engagemartech.com. Today, our podcast host, Rachel Aldegiri, is joined by Leo Raymond, founder and CEO of Eden Lab. Leo's main driver is helping people make smarter decisions and set aside their limiting assumptions, bringing surprising new thinking to the problems we all face and overturning established rules. He scouts, designs, and assembles new business models, propositions, products, and organization designs that actively create a better future for all of us, as he believes businesses can help shape our world for the better. Leo has real energy that infused those around him with ambition, vision, and imagination.
1: All right, welcome to the Engage Martech podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Aldagheri. I'm the Managing Director of the Data and Marketing Association. and We're a trade body led by customer-first principles enshrined in our code of conduct, to which about 800-plus corporate members adhere. And we're very much focused on setting standards for our industry across all areas of data and marketing, so from data protection and data ethics through to creativity and diversity. And in a recent board meeting, um, we were discussing the issues that are keeping marketing leaders up at night. And I think there's one issue that transcends pretty much everything we do, and it came up time and time again was sustainability. Um, so today, delighted to be joined um, by Leo Raymond. Um, He's the founder and CEO of Eden Lab. Formerly chief exec at Gray Consulting, where he led corporate innovation and transformation programs. So welcome, Leo. Really pleased to be having, we're having a quick 20-minute chat. Um, so we'll keep it punchy. Um, but great to, great to chat to you.
2: Thanks for having me on. Um,
1: I wondered first off if you could tell us a bit more about Eden Lab. You know, what prompted you to set it up? And kind of also intrigued, um, given the focus of the podcast and our listeners, to hear a bit more about what you describe as um, data-driven and a tech-enabled approach. I think is how how you put it.
2: Yeah, that's great. Thanks, Rachel. Um, about a year and a half ago, I was working at a lovely WPP agency, and uh, we were doing some quite you know some quite useful work, helping a big a big food company across Europe work out what should their how should they tell their story about all the great sustainability initiatives they were doing and find a way to kind of present that to the world? And I did the work and we did it very carefully and very thoroughly. and we, we used great integrity to assess all the things they were doing, make sure it wasn't, you know, greenwash. Did a good project. But at the end of it, I realized that, frankly, apart from changing the brief to the ad agency at the end, nothing had really fundamentally changed in that company. And, and I sort of had this horrible realization that maybe I was just, or we were just kind of painting deck chairs green on that Titanic. Um, And I've been thinking for quite a long time about how could I use what I know how to do more powerfully for this great transition. There's this enormous transition going on and not everyone's fully aware of it, but we're all getting an inkling of the scale of the change that's required. Someone like McKinsey reckons it's $12 trillion of of money being spent on changing our systems and everything to a different kind of world, a post-carbon, a sort of net zero world. And I thought, there must be more that I can do. Um, And so I thought I'd give it a go. And I looked around at sort of work that was going on in the marketing communications world. And it just seemed to be a lot of narrative design. And that's, you know, that's great. But, um, and it's important, but we're not going to save ourselves with narratives. We need something more fundamental than that. Um, and on the other hand, there was a bunch of people focusing on reporting and pledging. And that's also critical, like measuring where you are is important. If you're going to work out where you're going to get to next. And I know everyone at the DMA will understand the importance of measurement. I mean, that was always the thing, right? I should admit I was a direct marketer when i started out um and still am deep to my core but uh, but my, but i realized there was just a gap in the middle which is how, how are we actually going to help people make better choices how do we inspire better choices how might we use technology and data and all that we know about shaping behavior to actually encourage people to make more considered choices when they're coming to buying things and so they use their buying paranormal power powerful way not everyone likes this by the way because some people would like all companies to shut down tomorrow, and you know, we'll go back to weaving mm. our pants out of Hessian and grown in our Welsh back <laughs> garden, and that might be true eventually, but I'm not sure that's where we are now, so that's why I started leading that. lab. Yeah,
1: interesting. Yeah, so I've, I've heard you refer to eco capitalism, which I thought yeah, awesome. it's
2: a difficult phrase because the capitalism is such a poisonous piece of language these mm. days. Um, but if you, could, if you could use the bits of the system that work well or if you could use bits of capitalism to drive better behavior from companies should you not try and do it whilst we wait for the next thing to arrive and and I think we're going to be waiting for a long time so that's why that's why I chose that language and it's to sort of deliberately trying to make the case that business has a role to play and therefore marketing has a role to play in in doing it I think for many marketers it's really hard to get their heads around that because you sort of feel like consumption is the problem and I'm really good at driving consumption behaviors and you know changing attitudes yeah. towards consumption there might be a sort of logical disconnect, but the way I look at it is this: Do you think you're going to be wearing pants and sitting on chairs in 2050? Probably you are. So where are you going to get them from? Maybe you might build them yourself in your back garden. But if that's not the case, then maybe we can create companies or create products and services that are less damaging to the planet, or maybe even good for the planet. That you could so you could choose the good pants and the good chairs. And that's kind of I know it's kind of basic, but I'm trying to keep it simple. But that's really the vision of what we are trying to do.
1: Yes, so I'm I'm kind of intrigued about the what can marketers really do to make a difference because you know this is the week that Rishi Sunak's under pressure again with the whole Zach Goldsmith incident and there's not enough being done at at the very top to kind of drive behavior changes whether that's through regulation or. Or other ways, investments, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so, I think you know, as a marketeer, you it's obviously easier to to stay in the wheel and, and keep treading, isn't it? Whereas, what what can they do, in, you know, starting from tomorrow, almost in their jobs, that w- will make a difference?
2: Yeah, it's, I mean, it's the killer question, isn't it? And I, I, what I hear a lot from clients that I work with um, before we really get going is I just don't know where to start. I mm. don't know where to get that feeling. I mean, the first thing is let's remember that the superpower of people in marketing is shaping aspiration and behavior. Um, So why not use that to a more positive end? I think that it's really important to recognize the challenge of being someone who's on the hook for delivering revenue and profit targets inside, inside a company, right? It's like, there's a a lot of pressure on you to get it done. And no wonder you sit in the hamster wheel and turn it round. But there are a lot of people I'm encountering all the time who have A latent desire to do something different who feel like they can't quite reconcile them at home with them at work so when you actually present them with an opportunity to think differently about how what what if we could use sustainability or green and clean growth as I sometimes like to talk about it as a a good vehicle for change what then and I see people's eyes light up actually um, because they begin to think "Oh, hang on maybe there's a way in which I can use what I'm good at and still hit my targets but Deliver it through a different mechanism or different means. So I'll give you some specific examples. So here's one: Um, working with a very famous travel company. Travel's, I mean, it's a problem sector. You know what I mean? It's like the Mm -hmm. elephant in the room is the aircraft. Mm -hmm. There's there's no getting away from it. But what if you could use technology, data, customer experience design, the journey, to actually inspire your customers to book more sustainable travel experiences, more sustainable travel end to end? What if you could swap out um, some of the airline? Or some of the some of the air travel for train travel, for example. What if you could encourage people to use a electric bus rather than hire a car when they get to destination? Well, all these things are possible, and then you might start to create the world's leading sustainable travel marketplace, or more sustainable travel place. That's one project we've done, and we're still working on. Another example: I'm literally in it right at the moment. Is working with um, a food brand. You definitely have them in your kitchen, um, and and. Um, the stuff they make is quite highly linked to um, CO2 and methane. So can you come up with an alternative version of your product, like a new proposition that will deliver the same benefits, but not have such a downside in terms of um, you know, emissions? And the answer is yes, but then how do you go about selling it? It's, a, it's an education program that goes with it. There's a, frankly, to make it inspiring and enticing. That's what we're good at. So that was a super long answer to your question, Rachel. Sorry. No,
1: no, no. That was a good answer though. And and great to hear some examples because I th- I think that's what's missing at the moment is so. what what does that look like? And I think when you know, you're trying to to tackle this in you know in the midst of, of of the pressure to show the worth you know we're hearing the measurement and showing the worth of marketing at the moment as budgets are being slashed is kind of you know top of the table at the the, the boardroom so it's kind of how how this can really drive growth you know the green growth i think again there's something yeah. you talk about right. it is, is is quite hard and what do you think stopping us being able to do that is it something that we need to be led from kind of the brand board table in terms of setting out a vision or is it actually that we're not spending enough time on creativity and reimagining where where we can go with this moving forward
2: well I suppose I suppose both of those things are true it's it's definitely the case that the firms that we've had most success with with are the ones where from a CEO down there's a recognition that change is coming and something needs to happen but there's usually more of a kind of what we there's more sense of what we need to get to than how we're going to get there so that's mm-hmm. going to let someone else to solve but um, lots of it's lots of firms of course have set up their targets their kind of net zero targets but getting there's no one's really necessary to figure out exactly how uh, actually what we're going to see in the next two or three years I believe is and I wrote a post about this but hitting the wall so people are going to realize they've tried the low-hanging fruit that's made some differences but they're mm-hmm. still way on the target then what happens Matt and I think you're, the other point you made about you know, the imagination or the oh, notifications going off. I edit that We're both um, on <laughs> What we said about the lack of imagination or the lack of kind of creativity. I think it's I think it's a part of sort of seeing that there might be something that we could contribute that you could see the world differently. That actually, that actually, you could find the way to switch some of the revenue away from dirty, high-intensity carbon products and services to something cleaner and greener. Uh, but it, mm-hmm. it, you know, it, it takes effort. It's not just something you can easily slip into. You have to make an, an extra special effort to do it. But like I say, there's, I'm, I think I was wondering when we started the company, who would we, who would we end up working with? And was it a role, was yeah. it a function, was it a discipline, you know, what would it be? And the common factor actually is a sort of progressive minded person, more necessary than just a job title.
1: Mm.
2: Um, typically people who have been maybe at the forefront of leading change historically, so they're kind of pro change generally, and they see it as an opportunity. Um, and, and maybe they've got a vested interest in the future in some way. Perhaps you know, they might have kids or they might just feel strongly about the the planet and their community. But these people exist everywhere. It's just a question about them to, for me identifying them and then working with them to realise their ambitions, really. Um, yeah,
1: and ensuring that they've then got, I guess, either their infrastructure or their kind of, I, I guess, the flexibility to be able to to put into place some of those creative solutions, essentially.
2: And also not doing it on their own because it's, you know, in general terms, um, I'm not sure that marketing in it in its sort of purest silo form is necessarily the, the broad based level of cross functional imp- impact you need to have on a company. Because typically the best programmers that they work with, there's R and D in the room, there's um, procurement, there will be a commercial function, there'll be insight, there'll be marketing, there might be we might be working for an MD who has a kind of cross cross functional view, for example. Um, that that makes it a bit easier than entirely relying just on, you know, if you're head of brand without much influence on the supply chain that you're being asked to push out the door, it makes it more difficult to do it. Yeah. I was was a, sorry, go on. Actually.
1: No, I was going to say because um, one of the things that we're seeing the industry perhaps obsess over a little at the moment is is the kind of the, the metrics, and as you said, there's trying to, a bit of a drive towards how we achieve those, but. Before we have even got there, there's, there seems to be a very heavy focus. And I was chatting to a, kind of a big financial brand, an event recently, and they're part of Adnet Zero and they're working up their way through that, that action plan. But they were kind of stuck on, you know, an email and how much energy is used sending an email and, and the complexities that sat behind that. And it was almost seeing, you know, when we're talking about this bigger kind of potential for transformation, there does seem to be this obsession with the minutiae at the moment, and looking to almost lessen the impact of what we're doing as opposed to doing it differently. Yeah. And I and I, I don't know how, how do we steer the industry into kind of thinking differently versus just trying to adapt what we're already doing.
2: Yeah, you know, I think that's absolutely right. There's definitely like um, tweaking the current model is probably the dominant start point mm. like I say and then a realization is arriving in people like you know firms like Unilever and the ones who are at the leading edge of that, that that's not necessarily going to deliver sufficient impact and that then leads to the next stage on it might be it's a maturity thing that you sort of start there and then you think hang on this isn't really going to deliver I need to mm. think a bit boldly about it perhaps that's perhaps that's how it works the obsession with measurement I'm really keen on it it's very hard to know what the hell to do unless you've established a baseline you need to yeah. know what hotspots are so where whereabouts in the stuff that you control or have an influence on is the is the problem coming from the truth is it probably isn't your media supply chain in the big scheme of things the surrounding area relative to depending on what category you're in if you're making cement you know your media supply chain is nothing compared to the the carbon in the stuff that you're making in the first place or if you're selling yogurts then the media supply chain is marginal compared to cows belching and farting methane yeah. I mean, it's just the, that's just the truth of it. So it's critical to have a baseline. It's good to know what what where the bad bits are so you can start to mitigate. But I do have this horrible sense that we're sort of reporting ourselves into oblivion. Mm. And I do the best reporting in the world, but we haven't changed anything. And what the reason I did this, you know, the real reason I jumped on this opportunity for to try and drive change and be part of the sort of being on the right side of history and, and to feel purposeful in my own life was I could just see that like the sustainability people doing all the corporate retort, reporting and measurement and the marketing people doing all the selling and designing and pushing things out the door, they don't speak the same language. They often don't even know each other. I've definitely had situations where the first time mm-hmm. they met was in our workshop. So there's kind of a bridging of a gap and bridging of a philosophy and bridging of language that's going on at the moment. And even the firms that you'd say, you know, you call out, call them out as being the most ahead on sustainability, quite often they are in a corporate way. But if you wanted to try and find as a customer, could you buy a more sustainable one from them? you might find it quite hard to actually find it. That's our, our, our data work that we're doing at the moment is looking at it more through the lens of, of a sort of CX or a customer lens, which I'm, I know you would like, but which is, that's all well and good you've got a net zero pledge. When I come to actually going through your buying funnel and maybe even choosing a product, is it made clear to me at all? Is there any positive nudging happening? Am I learning anything on the journey? Am I being able to be a better citizen in the process? Uh, in many cases, no, actually, and then you see a few outliers who so are absolutely nailing
1: it. Yeah, and that's interesting. Is that kind of you talk about your kind of customer centred approach and the importance, almost, of, of, of I guess educating, but also trying to build this notion of social innovation so that everything else works off the back of that. That if you're not bringing the customers with you, obviously. So I guess you know there's a part of um, AdNet Zero. I think is the final. Yeah, it five is. which talks about using advertising as a platform to educate to um drive change um and and it's i think it's quite interesting you talking about that almost as is that perhaps this the, you would say the starting point to yeah i
2: guess so point? i guess that's right because that's i think that's where the bigger for me that's where the bigger prize is and the bigger opportunity mm-hmm. to let to use the leverage that we have you know, to use our power to make a difference. That's where it's at. It's also true that, like, you think about market leaders in the past that changed markets. Like, we didn't use to spend our entire time on TikTok. We didn't use to spend our entire time on TikTok or, or on our iPhones. And we were, we were sort of taught to do that by the world of technology and the world of marketing. Why is it any different now for, like, choosing more sustainable behaviours and being shown what the right ones are? I think, if I said to you seven years ago, do you want an electric car, and You think or an electric vehicle, you think of a milk and you're not interested and I show you a Tesla you definitely want one I think the ability for us to make markets and to um, help them develop in a sort of more intelligent and more conscious way is really otherwise we're just kind of constantly echoing the past and when was that ever thought to be the brilliant way to do it wasn't from what I remember
1: yeah yeah you know it's really interesting you know you've got me thinking just in terms of how we are literally looking at everything and how we do it and how we can make it greener versus how we can how we can do it in a completely different way um and one of obviously there's organizations like change the brief and different I think you know where the brief is coming from a client to a marketer is obviously really important how how, how do well particularly I guess those coming at it from a kind of more supplier agency tech provider point of view how, how can they kind of support and influence that that change through through their brand and their brand contacts
2: yes that's the, that's a killer question <laughs> I've got a really glib answer which I'll play out <laughs> and I'll see what you think. I think a lot of it is it's about getting into the client having that conversation nine months before the brief is written yeah no, sounds so stupid but because it's so obvious but Spent, you know, I was in planning all my life, and we always were so like, why can't we get a business brief? It's because we're not having a conversation at the right time. It's decided mm-hmm. by the time to get to the room. I think having having the conversation opening up as an opportunity early enough to influence the brief you get is such a crucial part of it. Um and then and then I think you stand a chance of being involved in a conversation that's that's more strategic and less uh, and less tactical, and you have a chance of changing it. I think change brief is right, yeah. but ideally you'd be I think in the best examples of client and agency interaction, you'll tell me actually. I remember this, but mm. you're supposed to co-create the brief together, aren't you? And so, getting in there a bit earlier probably would be a maybe that's a bit simplistic.
1: Yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it may seem obvious, but yeah, it's it, but I guess it's a challenging one as well. Just and again, like it's looking at the way we we run as an as an industry you know how how that process the pitching process the briefing process how all of that works
2: um yeah a hundred percent and i that's partly why i pushed into consulting in wbp because i was kind of i could i felt that we were slipping down the overall sort of level of influence on our clients just because of time and the changing nature of the advertising industry and i was you know i happened to be in gray advertising at the time but there's a great opportunity here actually this is the thing that i think people haven't realized is that um there's an upstreaming opportunity right here, a bit like if you and I were having this conversation in 2003 and we'd be saying, you know what, I think I think we could probably get ahead of our clients and help them out on digital. Mm-hmm. On digital. And you would say, yeah, that's the biggest transformation in the next 20 years. Let's get on it. And we'd have been right. This mm-hmm. is exactly the same. And I think it's a great opportunity to be. People are looking around for answers and the answers aren't apparent who they're coming from yet. It's not defined. Everyone's making it up because if they weren't, we'd have cracked the problem we definitely have't. So total <laughs> yeah. the frontier moves every literally every day. It's an amazing opportunity to be that um, partner to your to your clients or be that partner to your agencies that kind of sets the tone. and that's the certainly from an agency point of view, I think it's a nice way to stop stop that commoditization sort of process that we know is sort of yeah. difficult for agencies to resolve really.
1: No, absolutely, absolutely we're fast running out of time I think we've got like a a minute or two so oh we've got five minutes five minutes I'm I'm getting ahead of myself already okay so I I kind of with you know everyone listening to these podcasts is always kind of trying to relate it back to to what what can be done now where where do we start And, and this still still to me when you're talking it all makes absolute sense but it feels massive it feels like you know I need to change the way business is done I need to change processes that are out of my control how 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 do i you know where do where do i i think going back to this point of where you start you know which we we talked about at the beginning but how how can the marketing team whether that's brand side agency side start to steer things in the right direction what what can they do
2: i think that's really good it's the question really Hmm. my learning so far and this will evolve as we go right but is that don't try and ball the ocean in one hit, as you say, because by the way, you're not solving capitalism in this brief, probably. <laughs> well, they can give it, a, I'd be impressed if you give it a
0: go.
2: <laughs> <laughs> More likely, it's kind of, I look for, where are the small wins that you can get data behind to say, directionally, this is a small gamble. Look what happened. Good old fashioned mm-hmm. game testing, by the way. But um, we, we, we deliberately do stuff which we call validation. So we'll have the goal as far as developing a new value proposition, but we'll just do a small test on the, um, social platform to see what gets engagement. And that mm. is a really useful indicator of potential future dem- demand without spending a quarter of a million pounds getting you know, one of the management consultants to do a demand mapping project for you or whatever. Mm. And it's enough to kind of create enough momentum behind an idea that people's back- people like to be a part of success. So so getting people together to come up with a small testing plan, to have a go at doing something to see without even necessarily changing the factory at this stage, but it creates that positive momentum that then is like a a rolling you know it's a, a ball that gathers moss that goes down the hill it's that kind it's that kind of approach i also think by the way that most of us are most people aren't stupid they know, they know things need to change just like mm-hmm. where, where's my lever that i can pull well this
1: exactly that
2: projects a way of doing it or is it you go proactively to a, if you're in a, an agency world do you go proactively to your client with one area to explore that you have a hunch could work because probably your hunch isn't bad you know mm. Um, there's a lot of risk, people are very fr- frightened around the risk of greenwashing. And I actually think green hushing is even probably more dangerous because mm. people aren't taking any chances not learning anything from making mistakes. But I think there's a the other thing I think is probably getting getting a bit curious and get, and doing some learning about what is going on and what levers might we pull. So there's a there's definitely like um when I go around to a marketing conference and I say to the room, hands up if you've heard of these following you know phrases or ideas. Probably five to 10% of the room put their hand up, which, if that was like the digital era, you'd be like, wow, guys, you're in trouble. <laughs> you mm. need to... And it's all, it's literally all over the internet. It's not like it's behind paywalls, this information. And yeah, also exactly. being, being prepared to engage with the topic and explore it on your own terms, I think, is really crucial.
1: Are there any um, brands, organizations that you would say have really got a handle on this that are, you know, not necessarily there, but on a journey on the right? going in the right direction to get
2: there. Yeah, lots. I mean, and I think it's very category dependent. So, for example, when people talk about Oatly, I think the way Oatly is marketing itself and presenting itself and the things it's bringing to market is really clever, just one small example, but at least it isn't Patagonia. <laughs> I mean. everyone, is, everyone kind of relies on Patagonia as the only example they could think well, of. Well, that's,
1: that's... Bit, yeah. So I was yeah curious to see, you know, the small and large companies, I'm sure.
2: Yeah, and every category has them. They're often very small ones, which are indicative mm-hmm. of where they and they'll get bought or, or, you know, merged. But then also people like Ikea. Ikea, there's a lot that's still wrong with Ikea, but they've got this brilliant chart they produce every year in their report, which is sales versus carbon intensity. So how much carbon is being required to produce their sales? And they can show this decoupling, it's called, where the sales go up and the carbon goes down. That gap, that big widening delta is a really, really crucial way of thinking about it. One day, I believe, that return on carbon... Return on return on yeah return on carbon will be as important in some sense as ROI. Their two will mm-hmm. stick together, and the winners, the, the real absolute badass marketers of the future, are the ones who can demonstrate a really amazing return on carbon. Not only are they generating profits and, and mm-hmm. so ideally in an equitable way, but they're doing it whilst reducing the amount of carbon going into the atmosphere. I mean, that's that's winning, isn't it? That's the modern win.
1: No, absolutely. That, 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 that's, that's really important. Yeah, and really, really interesting, actually, as to how yeah that could be a keyboard measurement.
2: Yeah. Maybe. We work really hard on trying to make sure that what we're doing is, I mean, growth is definitely a problematic term, but it appeals to marketing community and clients mm-hmm. which is well, which is honestly why we use it as a kind of entry point. Something should, if you're flying to New York once a month for work and not really doing much with that time there, you should degrow that flight, right? That's just an example of where we should stop that stuff. I think if you come up with the, the ultimate compostable, regenerative underpants, you better sell them, and we should help you. Like that's that's how I see it. So like green and inclusive growth is how we how we talk about it. So can we find ways to make, let's say, we come up with an amazing sustainable hotel offer. How do we make it accessible to more people? Like it can't just be the rich only are the ones who are able to to access this world. So that's you know it's on my mind that's the bit I lie awake at night like worrying about how do we do it in a way that's not, you know, just for the affluent.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's an inclusive yeah mm-hmm. approach okay. um that's been fascinating and I think sadly we have to let you go and run off to another meeting but it's been wonderful talking to you Leo really inspirational and um yeah hopefully we can um move things forward at pace
2: thank you Rachel and you'll be on it thanks so
1: much Leo. take care